HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report. Uh, You're here with Heather Hyman, and today you um, are listening to me speak with Gwen Chance, the farm manager here at Roberta's Restaurant, and she is here also with um, her intern, Biola um, of Brooklyn College, and uh, we have a pretty exciting show today. We're going to have some guests coming in a little bit later on to talk about um, Sugar Shack and uh, maple syrup production up in Montreal, which is um, associated with the restaurant um, Au Pied des Cochons. So they'll be joining us in just a bit, um, but... Um, we'll start off by saying that I just loved, learned very recently that we now broadcast beneath a rooftop farm. Um, a couple weeks ago, you probably heard us saying that we've been broadcasting beneath a rooftop garden. And uh, Gwen's going to explain to us how we became to be broadcasting beneath a farm instead of a garden. Well, basically, the USDA um, designates anything a farm if it produces over a thousand dollars worth of produce so that could be vegetables or meat or eggs or any food basically so we're a farm because we're producing or we aim to be producing at least three thousand dollars worth of food this year and um last year we didn't produce that much and Mm -hmm. this year we're expanding quite a bit and with help from interns like biola and other volunteers we're going to be growing into a 5400 square foot lot next door so Wow. We are officially a farm. Officially a farm. So from what I understand, this whole project originally started with volunteers. Is that true? And members of the restaurant? That's right. A couple of the restaurant's owners were interested in growing some food, and they started with just a few pots, really, and they ended up installing a large garden on the roof of this this very radio station, and it's all been volunteer labor all along, and it wasn't until... A couple months ago that my position, farm manager, became necessary because we're expanding so quickly. And there's so much work to be done. I mean, uh, from the beginning to now, I mean, we have uh, definitely lots more infrastructure than what was originally um, up above us. I know that it started off with just some a few raised beds, which they planted, um, you know, the, the soil first, and they've been composting and, and all things like that. Um, so 
compared to last year's crops, um, what are you planning to do with uh, what you'll start to, I guess, begin planting now as you expand this uh, rooftop garden into the lot behind us to, I mean, I'm sorry, the rooftop farm into the lot behind us, which will be an even bigger farm? We're going to be planting a lot of the same types of vegetables that we did last year. Uh, It's a lot of greens, it's tomatoes, there's going to be onions and carrots and just kind of your standard uh, North, like New England, Northeast vegetable variety. Um, what's different about the farm this year is that we're expanding, we're trying to grow as much as possible and produce as much food as possible, but at the same time, our farm space is going to be used as an event space. Mm. So everything from the plant beds themselves to the compost needs to be kind of event-friendly. There's going to be people having weddings out here. Wow. So oh, the compost can't be swarming with flies and stinky. So we've been working on, uh, we've been doing some research. Biola's been helping me to try and find ways to uh, to minimize flies and reduce the odor of the compost so we can make the farm productive, but also kind of family-friendly. Definitely. Now, um. Uh, with the crops that you are going to be raising, what do you expect to do with them? I mean, are you going to be selling them? Will you be using them in the restaurant? Are you going to set up some kind of CSA in this area? All of the vegetables that we produce are going to be used directly in the restaurant. And that's how we can kind of justify the cost of having the farm. Um, it's not a, it's not cheap to rent space in New York City, as mm-hmm. everybody knows. <laughs> so uh, we need to make as much money off of uh, each square foot as possible. So when we produce, when we process the vegetables that we grow in our farm uh, here at the restaurant, we add a lot of value. So a couple of heads of lettuce that we grow in the garden might sell for a few dollars at the farmer's market, but once we process them in the kitchen and sell them retail in the restaurant, we end up adding a lot of value to those vegetables. Yeah, and then you're definitely becoming a much more like farm-to-fork type restaurant, I mean, to the fullest. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't really get any more local than this. Definitely. I mean, I I just came back from the Georgia Organics Conference about two weeks ago where I was sitting at a table with, you know, um, some some well-known chefs that that travel, you know, all across the country. And, you know, they they were so impressed by Georgia's like, um, like, you know, like basically like farm to table restaurants like in that small area. And the only other place that they could really compare that to was um, in Portland, Oregon. Um, Like, you know, how many restaurants are really able to produce so much from their menu straight mm-hmm. from the farm and in new york city it seems that it's really hard to do that and luckily you guys are going to be able to do most of your produce directly from your yeah. farm there aren't that many restaurants in new york that are doing it there are definitely a few that have herb gardens right outside and they cut from their gardens and even we aren't going to be able to produce the majority of uh, the vegetables that we go through it just takes such a large quantity of food we do buy most of our produce um from local sustainable farms. We get a lot of the restaurant's produce from um, uh, Lancaster Farms. It's kind of, it's a farmer cooperative down in Amish country in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. It's all sustainably grown. Um, So we do buy local when we have to buy produce, but yeah, we're trying to grow as much as we can on site. And it is hard in New York because of the climate. In places like Georgia or Oregon and in Northern California, you see a lot of restaurants that can uh, keep up with their their demand locally, but we have to seek a little farther this time of year. Um, uh, now, Viola, I have a question for you. What has been like the most exciting part of your job so far here as an intern at Roberta's? <laughs> this. 
this radio well, interview awesome yeah <laughs> so far, i've been here two days uh the first day we were what did i do first day oh um i looked up i got to learn i learned a lot more about composting and because mm-hmm. i wrote up, i wrote up a report on composting and today i've been um replanting the seedlings the uh lettuce from last year um no, it's uh, lettuce seedlings that we planted about a month ago, and she's transplanting them for us into uh, different beds in our hothouse, so they'll grow oh, faster. Okay, kind of like when we had the the propagation station about a year ago. Is that like the same thing? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, basically with transplanting, you start seeds in one area, in, and you kind of plant them densely, and then you transplant them to space them out or to move mm-hmm. them to a different location. Allow their roots to grow a little more, and that's when mm-hmm. they really start to become the, the, the crop that you want them to turn into. Exactly. All right, wonderful. Um, so um, are you going to be helping with like more of the research of deciding like what kinds of crops they're going to grow? Or I know you already said like you pretty much know what you're going to have, but I mean, have you sourced seeds yet and things of that nature? We've already bought the seeds, and something that Viola has been helping us with is... Uh, figuring out when we need to plant and uh, what crops need to be sown directly outside and what crops we're going to start indoors. She, she put together a nice spreadsheet for me the other day. Nice. Well, that definitely helps. So what has like the biggest challenge been so far? That's a good question. I think uh, this winter was a lot colder than we expected. <laughs> we thought our, green ho- our greenhouses would hold up better. Um, against the frost and there were a couple of weeks there where there was just very little we could do so we ended up insulating quite a bit and we've got some heaters going now for our seedlings but um yeah we learned a valuable lesson about how cold new york gets in the winter i always kind of thought it was milder than it actually is well i think it kind of has been milder to be honest we're having a a little longer and more extreme winter than we have in the past couple years um, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come right back. You're listening to the Heritage Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. And stay tuned.
All right, and we are back with the Heritage Farm Report. Um, Gwen actually had to run up to the roof. Um, you know, sunlight is uh, is um, of the essence right now, and we're about to lose it here. So we had to say goodbye to Gwen on the break, but uh, she will be back again to talk more about the farm and the future. Um, so now we have all of our guests here from Montreal. Um, I have uh, Mehdi Brunette uh, Benkriti to my left. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Happy to have you. We've got Oog Kafour here as well. And then we have um, Gael Serf here to my right. Hi. So we are talking with um, the current sous chef Mehdi of of. Uh, de Cochon um, and the Caban Asucri, which I am so excited to talk about. Um, for you that don't speak French, that is the sugar shack part of the restaurant Au Pied de Cochon. Um, Hugh is the former sous chef and partner of the restaurant I just mentioned. And Gael to my right is um, the former front of the house manager and partner as well. Um, so I kind of just want to um, learn a little bit more about what this whole api de cochon is and how it relates to the sugar shack or the coban asukri. Yeah, uh, about about the shack. Um, you know, we did. We decided um, it was a surprise. Like it's it started from uh, Martin, which which is the um, it was the chef owner. And it was a dream for uh, for him to get a, to have a shack, and he had this opportunity after like uh, like you know many years of looking around trying to find a shack, and it's a huge thing to take over. So you not you just don't go on you just don't go online and find a shack, you know. <laughs> and so they ended up like winning at the at uh, an auction. So the the sugar shack. So they entered like all the the forest and stuff. Wow. So um, yeah. So I mean, when you say um, won it at an auction, was it an existing sugar shack that someone put up for sale? Yeah, it was a sugar shack. It, it was. Um, I mean, it was. Um, it was basically falling apart. They, they, we we had like no electricity at that time, no gas, nothing at all, and the, actually all the pipeline was um, was also um, yeah was also not halfway inexistent so you know we had to to pull everything together and like start from scratch actually now was the sugar shack associated with the restaurant um like before the restaurant existed or was this something that happened afterwards Uh, after like um it happens like happened on the on the sixth year actually the sixth year yeah Yeah. okay so um is it is it in close proximity because obviously if you won this um look this uh real estate at an auction or this shack at an auction it probably uh-huh. wasn't just in your backyard. <laughs> it was at that time like a quite of cha- of a challenge to bring all the people. But to think about like opening a, a place which was far uh, like kind of far from the city, but like it's we're talking about forty five minutes, but it's way on the way out in the countryside. So people would have to move from the city because they were like we had targeted those people from the city to come over because hmm. it was more kind of a high in sugar shack. You know, we would serve yeah. like foie gras and stuff like that. And um, but it worked out. All right. Well, now that we know the association, let's learn a little bit more about what exactly a sugar shack is. Because you say you have to recruit people from the city. I'm assuming that means that uh, it's a special thing to come to a sugar shack. Yeah, I mean it's a part of uh, our tradition. Um, we have to go sometimes in spring. Um, 
we have to go to 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 pay pay yourself a treat to go to Sugar Shack. Mm. Most of them you go only once a year because it's enough. There's it's too many. It's too much sugar, oh. obviously, because mm. everything is cooked with maple maple syrup from the eggs to the uh, bacon, like baked beans. Everything it's soaked oh. up with syrup, and like you know, people would just like. Um, it's also the first. Um, the first. Um, the first thing we would harvest, you know, after we we craved all winter long, not, nothing happening like up up there. It's 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 freezing cold. There's a lot of snow, and then all of a sudden the snow's melting. Mm. We see the sun uh, coming, and like people just like they, uh, I mean, they pack the car with the kids. They would go out, and the minute they see smoke and uh, like coming out of the rooftops, they would stop and like uh, you know, want to know what's going on. In uh, there. What's going on? Can we stop and have a meal? You know. Well, that's kind of what I was wondering, because I know that I first start seeing maple syrup here in New York, not until like the fall. So is it true that the season for maple syrup does start now as we get into the spring months? Maybe, Madi, you could answer that for me? Of course. Well, actually, the, <clears throat> the sap from the trees start, um, start leaking after, after cold. From cold to warm temperatures. So you have need cold nights, mm. and then when it gets warm in the day, then it really leaks. And then you can actually start boiling the syrup and having maple syrup. So being being like a um, you know a, su- a chef and everything. I mean, what is your role in actually making the maple syrup? Are you also kind of a harvester of the syrup at the same time, or is that a whole another group of people that are involved in that process? Well, not necessarily. I think it's a completely other profession. Oh. And the fact that Martin did it and associated it with a restaurant, I think is something fairly new. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if someone else did it. I've never heard of it. Um, and to bring, it's kind of this famous restaurant that's in the city, to mm-hmm. bring it in the country and to make it very eventful and to bring a lot of crowd and, and a different crowd because now you have children, families and everything going for the same reasons, but also a lot of foodies. Right. It, it, it's that similar, you know, farm to table thing that we, we talk about here a lot on this network. Absolutely. It's I using so. what you're, oh, yeah. you're producing in your own recipes and, your, and at your restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you actually, you know, there's a, a great wine list and it's a, a, little, a little more, uh, a little later and uh, people staying in later. Yeah. They don't just go and have a, uh, how do you call them? Uh, the taffy. The taffy. That, that, that's the, the, you know, the big deal. Uh, usually it comes like at the very end of the meal, you would pour like you would cook down syrup till a certain degree mm-hmm. and it thicken up. And then you can you you just pour the syrup in the snow. And as it solidifies, uh, you just roll it with a stick. Oh, no And way. It's, a, it's a candy. Like, it's a maple... So you're literally using the land as part of your production. Like, you are taking from oh, yeah, the tree... Oh, yeah, you're taking advantage of <laughs> all you have around, all the elements. Wow. And the kids are crazy about it. Oh, my That's goodness. That's what the kids want. And then... It sounds like fun. Everybody leaves. It's also, <laughs> it's also a party. You know, people would go have a walk in, uh, in the wood. Uh, kids would play hockey outside in the mud because the snow's melting and <laughs> it, it's not paved, obviously. Cause, uh, uh, so it's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I mean, basically you said you, you won this place and it wasn't in the best c- condition. I mean, what did you have to do to, to like, you know, get the land around and to get the shack really up and running so that you could produce the maple syrup? Uh, you know, first first we, we started, like, we, we had to make sure that um, we would be able to 
to collect the sap from the trees. So that was the most important thing to to think about and, and to did, figure out. How did we know that there would be some sap in that tree? Um, and, uh, trees they they they're gonna sap okay. eventually. It depends of the weather. But uh, you get to you know back then they used to tap the trees and put like um you know tin tin buckets. And but uh, obviously, when it comes to um, like two thousand and five hundred trees, I mean, you can do that because mm-hmm. you have to run like <laughs> you know every two hours. When it when it's sapping, it goes like real fast. Huh. And um, so to fix to tap all the trees, and now we got like pipelines with tubes, hmm. so the tubing are connected together in a vacuum, and to to have like um, you know huge. Um, reservoir where you can collect the sap before getting boiled and like you get to you get to have wood some people will use gas uh-huh. or oil but we did we did that just like in the whole time With using wood. wood like wood burner uh maple syrup boiler wow okay mm-hmm. so we have 2,500 trees with holes in them with pipes hooked up to the trees which then leak all the sap into one reservoir and we take that sap and the next step is that it gets boiled over a wood-burning fire. Is that correct? Totally. Totally, you're right. Wow. That's correct. And now after this boiling process, is that when it has to be hardened? I mean, does it ever have to be hardened or was that just for the lollipops? <laughs> Oh yeah, no. After that, it's just like sugar. It's just like sugar. You can you can keep cooking it down and like um, you make candy. But it's the the, the most um, the most part of the production goes for syrup. So we we just we have to to filter it and then to to can it. Right. I mean, I know that I use can not like not like those plastic like bottles and neither <laughs> glass jar and stuff like that. It's, Traditionally in Quebec, it's canned. Really? And now, are there different grades of the syrup? I mean, you just mentioned something about consistency and stuff like that. And I know here we have grade A and grade B. Is that the same in Canada as well? Yeah, and they get like four grades, if I'm not mistaken. And it's all about color of the syrup. Okay. And uh, it's, I mean, it's a little weird because back then the government in Quebec did that because they wanted people to just to sterilize and to clean their equipment so the syrup would be clearer by the way so they would pay more and but not necessarily the 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 clearest one would be the 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 best one you know it's not it's not true oh i i prefer when it's darker okay it has more taste and it's tastier kind of like a wine right a more heavy-bodied wine sometimes is a little more flavor than one of your lighter red kind wines of. it's kind of the 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 wine of the pores <laughs> <laughs> it's not when it's cleaner that it's tastier necessarily okay mm-hmm. awesome well what are some of your favorite things to use maple syrup on or in in the restaurant i mean obviously you say you have maple syrup in everything but what are some of the favorites fan favorites chef favorites maybe gael would no, since uh, you're in the front of the house, you get some of the customer feedback. Yeah, of course. Um, everybody's used to getting that in desserts mostly, but uh, there have been really interesting dishes that have been created in the restaurant with maple syrup too. I'm talking about the plug à Champlain mostly. Yeah, yeah totally. You should explain. That was that was a that was a really really amazing dish. Um, it's a it's a buckwheat pa- buckwheat pancake mm-hmm. with uh, lard and. Uh, and, and old cheddar, cheddar and foie gras, 
Potatoes. And potatoes. Oh, potatoes. Yeah. potatoes. Sounds like yes. the best breakfast ever. And maple syrup sauce. <laughs> good. Yeah. And the maple syrup sauce. So, yeah, it's a, it's a that was served winner. as an appetizer, but uh, it's like a whole meal in itself, actually. It roasted roasted pork. Anything with fat in it is good, and roasted pork glazed with maple syrup is, uh, is very, very tasty. It really gets really sticky and um, sweet, and you It's very delicious. Now, do you use maple syrup all year round, or do you find that, like, do you run out of it at any point and have to wait until the next harvest? Oh, we do, eh? We had last, last mm -hmm. year was not such a bad year, but I know two years ago was terrible. And at the restaurant before the shack was happening, we were using uh, about half a gallon a week, something, maybe a little less than that, but about five, six liters a week. And um, as it got to, after Christmas, after January, the stocks were getting very, very low. Mm. And <laughs> let's say we'd pay 50 bucks for four liters. It went up to $80. It was, uh, it was one of the most expensive things on the menu, uh, although we carried foie gras and, and beautiful fish and <laughs> anything uh, that's of good quality. So to have it is uh, it's a lot of money to get it started, but it pays off in the end. Definitely. I mean, it's definitely really exciting. I'm wondering, how much of a yield do you get out of one harvest? Yeah, I mean, it seems a lot, and of course it, it is a lot, but you need 40 uh, gallons of sap mm -hmm. to make one gallon of maple syrup. No so way. Yeah. Oh, man. No. And now why is that? It's just the way it breaks down or the sugar? Because uh, it's all about the sugar contents and the uh -huh. sap. So you have to um, you have to bring it to a certain degree. So that also means to concentrate the sugar to have a syrup. Now, do you have to like know a lot about the actual trees themselves to know how much um, sap you can expect to get out of a tree? Like, does the age of the tree matter? Uh, they, uh, definitely, the age of the tree. Also, the the kind. There's there's many kinds of um, uh, of maple, uh -huh. but like sugar maples has like the the best yield so far, and. You know, sometimes you can tap like a big tree um, two or three times. So for sure, and does it's going to get more sap. Does that mean there's going to be two or three different holes in it? That's it. Okay. That's and it. Um, is there a certain point within the tree, like, you know, low to the ground, high up near the branches that you tap? Uh, it doesn't really matter. The thing is, the only thing is uh, there's a lot of snow. Uh -huh. So you don't uh -huh. want your pipeline to be totally buried in snow. No. <laughs> so you would go like like four feet up from the from the from the ground. You, know, you would start and you would go around. Every year you uh, you go around by like two inches and you keep going like that. And then you can go up mm -hmm. and then go down again <laughs> after like a certain. Uh, a certain number moment. of years yeah all right wonderful well um we're gonna have the name of the restaurant and the website where you can go to learn a little bit more about the sugar shack and the restaurant so that you can also go visit on um, the website um for today's program we're so excited i'm so excited to have um you know these um wonderful people sitting here with me that to teach me a little bit more about the maple syrup industry in canada and well industry i mean more just like your own yeah, small industry it's yeah. it's really great i mean that you have um you know your own product in your own recipes i mean that must feel really good to have a part in that and really be able to serve you know yeah, your, totally, your totally. syrup on your food and mm. um 
I guess I just have to wrap up the show because we're, we're out of time today. But I wanted to thank you for coming. This is our first international guest um, here in the studio on the Farm Report. And um, I'll be joining um, uh, Nicole Taylor um, on Hot Grease next Monday to talk about uh, the Georgia Organics Conference, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, and as always, uh, we thank you for listening. And we thank Heritage Foods USA for sponsoring today's program. And as always, you could check our archives out um, to re-listen to this interview and to uh, check out the website of um, Alpide de Cochon and the Sugar Shack. Thank you. 